Good evening. It's an overcast Tuesday in April 2022, and we're at the Lyric Hammersmith Theatre in London for tonight's production of Scandal Town. I'm Ruth Moore, Theatre and Performance Officer at Torch, the Oxford Research Centre in the Humanities. And for this Torch post-show conversation, I'm joined by Caroline Taylor. Caroline is a DPhil student at St Hugh's College, Oxford, and she pitched Scandal Town for this podcast series. Written by Mike Bartlett, Scandal Town is billed as a restoration comedy for the 21st century. It's the event of the season, and the fame-hungry have come to play, but not all is what it seems when a web of lies and mishaps risk exposing the reputation of London's elite. The play is a Lyric Hammersmith production in association with Fictional Company, and it's directed by the Lyric's artistic director, Rachel O'Riordan. We're going to catch up with Caroline before the show to find out what made her choose this play. Hi Caroline, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Hi Ruth, thank you so much for having me, it's lovely to meet you in person. (laughs) It is. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you work on. So I'm a first year DPhil in, I tend to say 17th century theatre because that sounds more convenient, but the, uh, the full title is Plague and Female Sexuality on English stages mainly from 1590 to 1700, which I've been told is a slightly controversial time period and that it goes on a bit too long. But I look at both early modern and restoration and everything sort of in between when it was, well, illegal to put on any performances publicly. Interesting. So, and you were telling me earlier, you're looking at the continuities between the before and after the theatre's being closed? Yes, there tends to be a sort of tradition of bifurcating that century into the early modern, so sort of 1570 to 1640, the late 1640s. Uh, and then again, when the theatres reopen in 1660 after the Civil War, and treating them as two very different beasts. And I think there are some very marked differences. So actresses are allowed to perform on stage professionally in the 1660s where they hadn't been beforehand. But the continuities for me are more interesting and I think to pretend that there was just this blanket period of no theatre for about 18 years negates all of the sort of underground theatre that was still going on and the theatre that was being printed at the time even if it couldn't be performed and this tradition that kept going even through adversity. It's really interesting and it will be very interesting to hear what you make of that in the light of the play later on but first of all before we go in to see it before we go and take our seats um what was it that made you choose scandal town as something you wanted to come and do one of these podcasts for because it's very much a 21st century 21st century play it isn't it isn't um there were two main reasons really i wanted to do a podcast on a restoration play because restoration plays tend to be performed less than something like shakespeare or uh, johnson or middleton For reasons that I can't quite understand, I think it's largely because we think of restoration comedies particularly as very sort of embedded in their time period and not easily transferable in a way that we don't really with Shakespeare. We're very happy to put Shakespeare in modern dress and think of it as timeless. But when I was looking for a restoration show to watch, there just weren't any on. And then I stumbled across Scandal Town as something that was promoted as a 21st century restoration comedy that was meant to be dealing with a post-pandemic world in the same way that the Restoration was dealing with the aftermath of the Great Plague in 1665. And I thought that that would then create some really interesting parallels, not only with what I study, 
but also with why we're happy to sort of recreate restoration drama but not stage restoration drama. I thought that was an interesting tension. Yeah, very much so. Now, I know that you've had a little read of it beforehand, but I (laughs) I think we will steer clear of going for any spoilers of what you make of it yet. So we'll pick up the conversation after the show. Fantastic, thank you very much. Okay, so um, it's after the show. We're actually at um, Paddington, Caroline, aren't we? As we're (laughs) waiting for our train back to Oxford. Um, But we've just seen Scandal Town. And I guess I want to start by asking you, um, kind of setting aside your research interests just to start off with, what did you make of it as a piece of theatre? How did you how did you find it? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I don't want to say I was pleasantly surprised because that sounds like I went into it thinking I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, but I was quite. I think I suppose I was quite worried that it would kind of, in trying to be a pastiche, it would go into parody. And I really felt like it did restoration comedy justice, but also was just an enjoyable piece of theatre regardless. I thought visually it was stunning. The performances mm-hmm. were hilarious. Um, Lady Climber, as we were saying after the show, was just spectacular. Um, I just absolutely, yeah, really enjoyable evening out. Had a fantastic time. Yeah, I wish we could kind of convey the visuals we've just seen into people's minds as they listen to this. When I was flicking through the script, um, the costumes had been described as um, sort of restoration-inspired but with a distinctly Alexander McQueen feel and I feel like that sums it up quite nicely. Yes, I think the costume designer took that on board really, really strongly. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that we talked about earlier is in the marketing material is calling this a restoration comedy for the 21st century. Mm. So you're the expert. Is it it true? Does it match enough that, that kind of feel for what restoration comedy meant? Yes, I would say it does. I was half expecting it to be a more sort of 18th century inspired piece just because plays like The Rivals are more well known now and that that might be a sort of more natural jumping off point. Um, But it did feel very embedded in restoration comedy and I thought a really interesting way of sort of celebrating the return to theatre after a period of time when none of us have been able to go. There were very clear restoration tropes running throughout, so the lead character of Jack is a a clear libertine um, and very, I think, obviously based on characters um, like the Dorament in The Man of Mode um, and Loveless in Love's Last Shift. He sort of epitomised that sort of um, slight, well, very morally dubious restoration romantic lead um, and I thought it was a very intelligent performance in the bit on the basis that I had never really understood when reading it how a character that morally deplorable could be that charismatic and I felt like they <laughs> somehow managed to capture that really well um, but also the level of political satire running throughout one of the things we were talking about earlier was that I'm not sure whether the political satire in Scandal Town is more immediate and more obvious or whether it's that when I'm reading restoration comedy, I have to go and check the political references so it doesn't feel as immediate or as obvious. And I think bringing, bringing a, a restoration comedy into the 21st century by using those references made me rethink how obvious those political references were in the original plays. Yeah, yeah we should probably try to avoid too many spoilers <laughs> but it's fair to say that there is a character in Scandal Town who maps very clearly onto somebody who is yes. well known in current politics mm. um, 
So how about the, so what are the things that um, I've understood from talking to you today is that um, the way in which the generational divide is written and played was an important part. Do you know what, actually, I'm going to put you on the spot if it's all right. No, that's fine. For like the kind of general listeners who, like me, don't have any particular expertise, how would you sum up restoration drama or restoration comedy in particular? What are those tropes that you expect? So restoration comedy um, is what a tutor of mine once described it as uh, the Beatrice and Benedict dynamic from Much Ado About Nothing with more ridiculous characters around the periphery. Um, (laughs) It tends to focus on a young couple who uh, have attitudes that are, are at odds with their parents and who are desperately trying to find a way to be together even though everybody around them is sort of working for that to not happen. In and amongst that, there are some incredibly rude moments because part of the uh, generational divide typically, and certainly the first half of Restoration Comedy, is about a more liberated younger group compared to a more staid elder generation. As we move into the 1680s and 1690s as the culture shifts, that generational divide remains but it swaps over. So the younger characters tend to be uh, politer and more PC and the older characters are a little bit uh, less so, shall we say. There are also the two main traits really are you have a, a rakish or a libertine romantic lead who is a character who very much follows his desires and his impulses, normally to the detriment of those around him, and a witty woman has to sort of put him back on the straight and narrow. And normally competing for that witty woman's affections is a foppish character uh, who is normally a francophile, normally a feat and a little bit ridiculous. Uh, And the generational divide is really sort of typified in the parental blocking figure who is uh, an adult who is trying to prevent any sort of happy ending from occurring. Okay, very interesting. If we take that particular example of the generational divide, how do you see that mapping onto what we saw tonight in Scandaltown? It was interesting. The generational divide, I think, in terms of the culture war, for a quote that Bartlett uses in the play between the elder and the younger generation is very clearly there. Um, The parental blocking figure possibly in the, in the image of um, Mrs. Uh, Double Budget or Double Boucher, as she insists her, her name is pronounced, um, wasn't quite as developed as I expected when she first ar- arrived as someone who was very desperately trying to not let her youngest son, son Tom, out of her sight and trying to uh, lead him into a career path that he wasn't that keen on. She was a very typical parental blocking figure, but she then only materialised once or, once or twice. Um, I think certainly her line about um, I don't know what I'd do if uh, he, uh, he ever left me for a woman but I'd probably invoke legal action is very typical of a character like someone like Widow Blackacre um, in one of Wycherley's early plays so, but as I say she was only there once or twice I think more interesting is the sort of tonal divide between characters like Lady Clymer and um, the, uh, and Matt Eaton, no guess, no prizes for guessing who that <laughs> character is based on, um, and the younger generation of lead characters, which felt more like a later restoration comedy. That was more sort of in along the lines of um, the 1680s and 1690s, I think. But it was definitely present, if not identical, to how restoration comedy functions. Yeah. 
you were telling me beforehand and I found this really interesting because I hadn't given it I hadn't anticipated it being something I would think about but I did because you had mentioned it was how that generational divide as played on stage was received by the audience that they had there tonight yes and yeah how, how would you say that played out because I know you were listening for it yes I'd, um, I'd read the play in advance um, if only just just prepare myself for what I was going to see and I thought it was interesting that scholarship I think has a tendency not always as a tendency to assume that the younger characters have all of the audience's sympathy and the older characters are always seen as ridiculous and reading the play I thought I'm not sure that's going to play that way with a mixed audience Um, and I did find that sort of the generational divide on stage was mapped in a sort of generational divide in the audience and the younger audience members tended to laugh at the jokes at the older characters expense and the older members of the audience might laugh at the jokes at the younger characters expense and I think that's probably more like how it was in the restoration as well but we just assume possibly because we're so far removed from it that oh well the young characters are the protagonists and therefore everybody must sympathize with them the other thing I thought was interesting that I hadn't spotted before is that normally when restoration comedy is staged today, the older characters are played by much older actors. Mm -hmm. There's normally a sort of 40-year age gap between the young heroes and heroines and the the older characters. The oldest character in this play, well, is the butler, but the majority of the older characters are in their mid-40s, so there's really only a 20-year divide. It's, It's a generation rather than multiple generations. And I think it gives the sense of whiplash between what is culturally acceptable and what isn't or what is culturally normal and what isn't a far greater prominence and makes made me better understand how restoration comedy works that way as well yeah that of course both of these generations are going to hold on to their values because they've only changed very recently yeah okay it feels like there's there's so much more we could go into (laughs) there but for the for the sake of of time then maybe let's think about so you mentioned at the beginning that um your your main research interest is um, about female sexuality and the plague yes. um, in in the texts and the the plays and the period that you're looking at. So I guess a, an obvious question to ask about is how you felt like this play played in the light of the recent plague that has affected us. Yes, it's interesting as well that this was also marketed as a as a play for our sort of post-pandemic world. There were several references to the pandemic, or as they called it, the plague in the show, that were probably more obvious than is typical of restoration comedy. Um, Purely, I think, because at the time, people didn't want to be reminded that they were in a venue that might infect them. Mm -hmm. Um, However, what I thought was really interesting is that the character of Jack, who is constantly criticised for leading a fairly debauched existence, finds that his debauchery manifests in a pain in his gut every time he feels that he's done something slightly morally dubious. And that is something that I think felt more like the plays that I look at, where sort of everyday activities become tinged by this fear of illness and fear of infection. Um, it was interesting that it was played with a male character rather than a female, which mm-hmm. I appreciated because the tendency in the 17th in 17th century drama is to sort of map that onto a, a female character or at least to blame the female character for having infected the man so it was nice to have his sort of conscience as it were manifest as a, as a physical illness rather than 
constantly blaming the woman for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, like you said, that that's, that was one of the main ways in which a sense of plague was addressed in, in the play. That you know There are yes. other references. There's a, one particular running joke which we will yes. encourage people to go and watch for themselves. <laughs> um, but in some ways, then it, it skirts around it. It does. And I think you were saying as well that the, the, it is a running joke and that it, it is very much played for laughs. And I think that is something that, may, that I think that has been done deliberately and probably would have been done deliberately at the, at the time as well. We all feel the need to sort of relieve ourselves of the horror that we've all lived through. Um, but at the same time, there is this sort of dark underbelly of illness that does run, run through the play, even though it's the, the plague is treated quite trivially, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's very fascinating hearing these layers that you're bringing to the play because of what you know about restoration comedy. And one of the things we were talking about on the tube over here was um, to what extent you think that Mike Bartlett as the playwright has got that deep understanding yes. of the, the tropes and the, the expectations of that form and to what extent you think it helps an audience if they've got a degree of that knowledge too? Yes. I think Mike Bartlett certainly has done his research. It felt very embedded in the sort of core values of restoration comedy. The sort of stock characters like the rake and the fop and the witty woman and the uh, parental blocking figures were all there. The generational divide I thought was dealt with uh, really well and that was one of the things that I thought would be difficult to capture and instead I thought was treated brilliantly. In terms of how far an audience needs to understand it, I think an audience would certainly enjoy the experience regardless. Um, somehow I doubt that the whole theatre had all seen a restoration comedy in the recent past simply because there haven't been that many put on. Um, however, I think understanding what Mike Bartlett was doing and how he was mapping these characters onto well-worn tropes of restoration comedy does give a sort of deeper understanding of the satire that he is portraying in this in this play. Um, one of the characters that I thought was really brilliantly dealt with was um, Lady Clymer, who is a sort of, uh, an older female entrepreneur um, without wanting to spoil too much is uh, described as the, the, the third place runner-up in The Apprentice 2015 <laughs> yep. and how she is I think you can see echoes of characters like Angelica Bianca in Afrobane's The Rover in her and Angelica Bianca is the character who has probably attracted the most feminist revisionist criticism since the play was for well, since the play was first started to be studied and it was interesting that I thought the, uh, the character of Lady Clymer was presented really brilliantly in that even at the end of the play you didn't really know where you stood with her, you weren't sure where your sympathy lay and I think that understanding the characters that she is perhaps influenced by gives a deeper understanding of how she might be a woman that's a product of her society rather than a totally insufferable and immoral dragon I suppose is the best way of putting it um, and I think that I'd be interested to see if if in 20 years time if we're still watching and reading this play whether people bring a different attitude to that character yeah 
Just to finish off, um, when when you um, got in touch to suggest doing this, uh, it came across that you're really passionate about seeing more restoration drama yeah. staged, and you've mentioned it was really hard to to find something in this area you're interested in to, to watch that's currently on in, in UK theatre. Um, so now you've seen Scandal Town, what kind of ideas do you have about, what would you say to theatre programmers if you had the chance? I think what I found really interesting was that the moments that the audience seemed to enjoy the most were the moments that were most inspired by restoration comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think, I think there's this fear that restoration comedy is such an alien genre to us partly because it's very embedded in its time period but also because the style of performance was quite melodramatic that maybe it it just won't play to a modern audience I think that is having seen Scandal Town that is very much not the case it was played on this sort of heightened level of reality and it did have the tropes that we would expect to see from restoration comedy one of the things I thought was very interesting about this was how embedded in its cultural moment this play is. It is a 21st century restoration comedy and as such the topical jokes are very topical. I don't necessarily think that makes it unplayable in the future and I don't think therefore we should look at restoration comedy as unplayable either. Yeah, yeah. And you you spoke earlier about um, an instance where there'd been um, a restoration comedy and uh, a contemporary play put on together and playing alongside each other or yes. even against each other so it's, it's an interesting prospect isn't it to imagine that it is. happening I, th- I think there are a couple of plays that could be paired quite nicely with this one I think Etheridge's Man of Mode or Collie Sibber's uh, Love's Last Shift both would work really nicely in comparison with this play just to give a sort of I think A, to give an idea of what Mike Bartlett has been inspired by, but also to show that unfortunately things have not moved on that much in 400 years and the same sort of concerns that we have now are the concerns that they had then and vice versa. Caroline, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for coming along. And Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> it's been a real delight to speak to you about it. <laughs>